Okay, so I'm walking on this beautiful property, and what makes it so beautiful to me is that it's really old. I mean, all property is old when you think about it, but this landscape has pretty much stayed intact for over two centuries. The parcel itself is about 15 acres, and there's a house situated here. That house was built in the colonial period, and it's beautiful too. The roof line extends deeply beyond the gable ends, and the windows and doors, although, you know, they've been replaced over the years, they have preserved the look and feel of the original structure. The clapboards are corbelled, starting at the seventh course from the bottom. And to give you an idea of what corbeling is, it's like those last few rows concave outward and then curve back in where they end. This was to keep the rainwater from pooling along the sill and then seeping into the foundation. It's a summer day in New England, and I'm walking really slowly. That's because I'm looking for something, but I don't know what it is yet. I haven't lost anything, but someone else did about 200 years ago. And with a metal detector in my hand, I'm gonna bring the lost to the light. This is Life Underground, and I'm Dan Tebow. Today, I'm going to tell you a tale about what I unearthed at this location, the amazing history lesson I learned from it, and why it is relevant to our lives today. I want to kick off this podcast series with an understanding of what metal detecting is, mainly because of the stereotype that many people see in their mind's eye when they think of someone with a metal detector. We've all seen these old guys on the beach digging for treasure, digging for rings and jewelry and all that. But that's not me. I'm not on the beach. I'm a relic hunter. I'm someone who prefers old farmlands, town commons, or really old homes built prior to the 1900s. Places where our ancestors gathered to work, socialize, and live out their lives. I'm not looking for treasure, not in the normal sense. What I seek are everyday items from the past. And they're things like coins and buttons and buckles, spoons, sewing thimbles, or even musket balls. These things were extremely important once, and people depended on them to withstand a hard existence. And what I found at this site was remarkable. And if I'm not mistaken, a deeply treasured item in its time. A metal detector is really a simple device, and without being overly technical, it's a coil of wire at the bottom of a shaft, and a pulsing current runs through it at a really, really high rate of speed, about 15,000 times a second. But that produces a magnetic field, and that goes into the ground. And when that magnetic field is projected onto a metal object in the ground, the object in turn creates and sends back its own current. The electronics in the head of the detector completes a program on that returning signal and with relative accuracy, reports, you know, what type of metal it is, its depth, and its virtual position to the center of that coil. The machine communicates this information through sounds and a numeric display. Kind of like that. But listen to this. When it makes this sound, that sound, 
is absolutely Pavlonian to me. Just like a dog salivating for food when it hears the bell, my brain literally emits endorphins when I hear it, and I start to get really excited. I think I'm going to find something like a silver coin or a brass bell or a pocket watch. You know, it's really uncertain, but that's what creates the most intrigue. The depth indicator was telling me that it was like 10 to 12 inches beneath the surface, and that's about as deep as my machine will go. And and to be honest with you, that's about as deep as I want to dig. When you drop a piece of metal on the ground, eventually it's going to sink down into the soil. How far it goes down is determined by the simple laws of physics. The variables are the density of the soil and the density of the object. When these two values equal each other, the object will find its sweet spot and it will not go down any further. It could drop down six inches and it could stay in that position for centuries. But even still, the earth has its own movement. It heaves and creeps sideways and ground moraine, those big rocks keep pushing up toward the surface. That's why we have so many stone walls here in New England. Using something very similar to a garden trowel, I cut a large circular plug out of the earth. I popped it out, and with the help of a smaller handheld detector called a pinpointer, I found this strange disc at the bottom of the hole. After lightly brushing off the dirt that had been caked up on there and I could see that it was a compact case. And as I cleaned it up a little bit more, I uncovered this hand-painted image of a young woman on the lid. And she was standing in this apple orchard. I showed it to a local historian who is really knowledgeable in period clothing. And she told me that she could identify some of those articles of clothing that the girl was wearing. It was like a hoop skirt, a waistcoat and these billowing sleeves and a bonnet that covered most of her head. She identified that these garments were worn between 1770 and the mid-1800s. And I also researched this compact case, and it was popular around the mid-1800s. So this had been buried for quite a long time, lost to the world for decades. And there's really one more fascinating feature to this compact case It has a secret drawer in it. It took real careful cleaning and a gentle touch, but I finally got the lid to open. And the mirror was intact, but the powder was solidified and churned into like this stone-like material. But the best part was opening that tiny drawer hidden beneath, because once I freed it from those years of being confined in the dirt, I found inside a locket of hair woven around a brass band. Saving a locket of hair of a loved one, especially before an impending separation or after their death, it was a tradition begun in the 1600s in Europe, but it transported over to the Americas and then it surged in the late 1700s to mid-1800s. Women would cut hair from their men before they traveled the seas or went off to war. They did this as a way to keep them close and in their hearts. And as a memento mori for a loved one who passed away, lockets of hair are often woven into delicate designs and incorporated into jewelry and even elaborate pieces of artwork to be framed and hung upon the wall. Hair does not decompose, and because of this, many people cherished it as a symbol of eternal life. Families often passed down keepsakes of hair 
from generation to generation, even after those touched by the person's life were no longer living. You know, I wonder what this locket of hair represented to the woman who owned the compact case. Who did she cut it from? Did he march off to war? This is what's so exciting about recovering relics like this, finding something that has been lost, and then through historical context, finding the meaning of that item. It leads you to research. It brings you to a place of learning. You become a student of history, but not the history you were taught in school. That was full of the names of famous people and our founding fathers and the dates and the places of the wars that were fought and the great legal decisions and developing economies that are somehow deemed the most important events of our past. But to uncover the meaning and value of this compact case and its contents requires the study of our cultural history, the unspectacular and largely unwritten account of the human condition that lay behind the legends of the past. It helps you to find out who the rest of our ancestors really were. People who in their struggle for everyday existence were largely disconnected from the monumental and defining events of their day. Their lives were marked by the mundane, everyday chores of living in that period. Things like chimneys were sometimes cleaned by going to the roof and dropping live poultry into it. The flapping of the bird's wings loosened up the built-up pitch, and then it could be easily swept out at the hearth. Every village or town had a justice of the peace, and their responsibilities included fence inspection, keeping records of who was not attending church, and arresting the unlawful. A proper fence itself was both a social and a legal requirement, and that it should be built horse-high, pig-tight, and bull-strong were the prevailing specifications. And when a member of the community broke the law, a justice of the peace often rode horseback or carriage to the offender's farm and formally made a charge, but would not bring them to the stockade. There was simply so much that each individual contributed to the whole that it could severely impact everyone to have them imprisoned. It was a necessity that all worked at their crafts diligently and unremittingly. Debate over the political concerns of the day wasn't in their thoughts as much as tilling the fields and shoeing an ox was. And once you get to this very different historical context, your imagination begins to take over. You can begin to get a sense of what life must have been like for the person who owned this compact case. And although we'll never really know the complete details of this story, we can relate to the expression of this old lost vestige. As much as things have changed with all the years that have gone by, and despite the high technology in our society, not much has altered in our hearts or in our spirit. Once lost and now found, that compact case and its treasure speaks to us still. Perhaps it's a metaphor for what has always been and always will be, that we desire and need community, 
that we fear being away from or losing those close to us, and that objects can symbolize and quantify our faith and help us endure in an uncertain world. This is Life Underground, and I'm Dan Tebow. I hope you enjoyed the remix of this episode, Compact Case. I encourage anyone getting into podcasting, and especially my students, to compare this episode with the first version of Compact Case. It'll show beyond the shadow of a doubt that I was a beginner too. I encourage you to never stop creating, and may you bring the lost to the light.